Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Coming up on the World Soccer Talk podcast, we look back at the Euro 2020 tournament and the tactical evolution. Every major international tournament has tactical innovations and evolutions that are a part of it. I'm Carter Krishnire, and today we're going to be talking to Danny Higginbotham, who knows, needs no introduction to the vast majority of you, longtime standout professional player for Man United, Derby, Southampton, Stoke City, among others, currently a co-commentator and commentator for the Philly Union in MLS, Premier League coverage uh, throughout the globe and also here on NBC in the United States, among others. So great to have Danny Higginbotham with us. should also mention he had three caps for the Gibraltar national team. When Gibraltar became an official UEFA nation, uh, UEFA member, and was the man of the match in Gibraltar's first match, a nil-nil draw with Slovakia, a, almost a giant killing if, if, uh, in, in a sense, getting a draw for Gibraltar against Slovakia. I'm Carter Krishnar, your host for today, and I'm joined, as aforementioned, by Danny Higginbotham. And Danny, each international tournament, Euros, Copa Americas, World Cups, we see these kind of tactical evolutions. And I think back to the Euro 2012 tournament when Italy, who had such a terrible World Cup in 2010, under Cesar Prandelli, went to a three-man back line and went all the way to the finals. And we hadn't seen the 3-5-2 played at the club level or the international level really in a decade or more regularly at that point. The next season, the Premier League starts, and we see Brendan Rodgers experimenting. He had just come over from Swansea City, experimenting with it at Liverpool. We see Manchester City under Roberto Mancini. They were the reigning champions play a 3-5-2 now and again and, and, and make signings based on the idea of playing a 3-5-2 Obviously, we're going to talk about Mancini and Italy more uh, as we get uh, deeper into uh, analyzing the Euro 2020 tournament. But the 3-5-2 seemed to be one of the great takeaways from this tournament, Danny. You even saw uh, England, depending on the circumstance under Gareth Southgate, going with a three-man back line, depending on the opposition. Yeah, I think it's, you know, a lot is made of the, the tactical side of the game. And I think it is, is it is hugely important because, you know, if you go back a number of years, most teams would just play 4-4-2 or 4-3-3. But other than that, there wasn't too much flexibility. Whereas now you look at it, as you quite rightly said, the three at the back, whether that be a 3-5-2, a 3-4-3, uh, a 3-4-1-2, you know, it, it can change so many times. And I think... The biggest thing that teams are looking to do is to try and create sort of an overload in, in specific parts of the pitch. I think the fact that when you look at a lot of teams now, your number 10s are, are key components of that team. So if you're playing the three at the back, what it means is that it means that you're in a position to a certain extent where the number 10 can be picked up by one of the three centre-backs. So if you look at, and I'm going to, just going to go talk about Bielsa quickly 
So Bielsa at Leeds United, he he's a manager that like I admire so much and I've been able to cover his teams over the years. And what you always found with him, whether it be in the Premier League or even when he first took over in the Championship, is that when he played against a team that played with two centre forwards, he would have he would play a back three. When he played against a team that just played with a one forward, he would play with a back four because he always wanted one more centre back than it's going to be, obviously, the opposition attacking-wise as a centre-forward. And what you find now with a lot of teams is that some teams can get a little bit mixed up because if you're playing with a three at the back, quite often you're only playing against one centre-forward. So therefore, there's another part of the pitch where you can be dominated. But what you're finding now is that if you're playing with a back three, we're seeing quite a lot of the times now, one, if not two at times, are actually natural full backs. So they've got the ability to drift into the wider areas to make a back four when it's needed with a defensive midfielder coming and sitting in. So you can have that back four. A lot of the times that will happen when they're in possession and going forward. But then other times as well, with the number 10, it means that one centre-back is going to be free to either go and take care of the number 10 or to allow him to come on to him. So you don't get outnumbered through the middle of the pitch. Um, the one area where you look at it and think to yourself where you can be done when you have a back three is the wider areas because you have wing, you have wing backs. So ordinarily, you'd have two players covering the width of the pitch. But with a wing back, more often than not, your problem is is that you have one player that's covering the width of the pitch. And we've seen teams, not just in this tournament, but we've seen teams do it over the uh, over recent years. Manchester United did it did it really well on a number of occasions where they played with split strikers. And what would happen is when the opposition were attacking, whoever was playing centre forward for Manchester United would would just rest on the halfway line, but really wide. And that would stretch the back three or it would stretch the back four. So there's pluses and minuses of, of playing with, with the back three. It obviously gives you the defensive stability because it enables you to be a back five when you need to be as well. Um, to a certain extent, you can try and get control in midfield. Um, but in order to... In order to be able to play it to its best, and I think Italy showed that as well. You know, it, not saying that they did it all the time, but but Italy have the ability to be able to do that. Whether that be whether it whether it looks like a back four at times, you'll have Jorginho who will just come and sit in, and he will make that third centre back at times. So you know they're in a position where although at times it will look like they're set up with a back four it can actually be a back three and then everyone talks about you know Benucci and, and, and Chiellini what wonderful defenders they are but they're also excellent on the ball and I think when you're trying to progress from the back that's why you need to have centre backs and defenders that are very comfortable on the ball because what we're seeing a lot of time now football wise we're, we're seeing risk for reward and you have to take that risk at the back because a lot of teams now are having a really high press but if you can play out from the back, you can take five or six of the opposition players out of the game. And I think that that's something that, that we've seen at certain times as well, not just in the tournament that we've just had, but you know, just in football and the way that it is now, it's very defined the way the teams want to play. Yeah, Danny, follow up on that uh, a little bit, because the ball-playing center halves, to John Stones's, to Harry Maguire's, to Benucci's, uh, we, we see them throughout world football now, but particularly in this tournament, seems like a prerequisite for having a three-man back line, and also a big part of the, the changes in the sport we're, we're watching really, uh, again, uh, accentuated in uh in this tournament, Simone Kerr would be another one I would mention from Denmark at an outstanding tournament as kind of a ball playing center half. 
Yeah, so so what you're what you're trying to create by doing that is you're trying to create a domino effect because more often than not, like say you talk about England, you talk about Italy. When you talk about your major nations in in major tournaments or or just just in general, more often than not, unless they score a score an early goal, you're going to dominate possession. Now, when you're playing against a team that is dominating possession, what you want to do is the opposition. You want to say, right, well, we're going to sit deep now. We're going to allow you to go sideways. We're going to allow you to go backwards. But that's all you're going to do. You're not going to be able to penetrate us because we're going to sit deep, whether it be in a, a really deep and narrow 4-5-1, whether it be in a, in, a, in a 5-4-1. So the idea of the centre-backs then, and this is where I talk about the domino effect, is that if you are, for example, a John Stones or a Harry Maguire, if you can beat that initial press, so for example, if you've got a centre forward from the opposition that wants to press you, if you're able to play through him, all of a sudden as a centre back then, you're then stepping out with the ball. Now the aim is right, okay, well, if all the central midfielders and the defensive side of the opposition are all marking plays for England, who's then going to come out to Maguire or who's going to come out to Stones? So what happens is eventually a midfielder who's a little bit deeper for the opposition has to step out to Maguire or has to step out to Stones. The minute they do that, the second they do that, they're leaving an attack-minded player for England free or whatever nation it may be. So therefore, that's why I talk about the domino effect because if Maguire or Stone steps out with the midfielder for the opposition then says, right, okay, I can't allow him to keep running with the ball. I can't allow him to keep venturing further forward. He leaves his man and then goes to Maguire or then goes to Stone's. That's when then your more attack-minded players or your forward-thinking players are going to find themselves free. The knock-on effect of that, and this is what I talk about once again, the domino effect is right. Okay, so a midfielder now has come out to, to face up Stones or has come out to face up Maguire. Then you're a midfielder for England is then free to get on the ball. He then picks up the ball, finds himself in space. Well, what's the next What's the next port of call then? One of the opposition defenders has to leave one of their centre-forwards or one of their wingers. And all of a sudden, that's where you then find the time and space. But it, it, that, that's why they click. That's why you know you call it playing through the pitch, and it's something where you need the bravery. But first and foremost, you need centre backs that are really comfortable on the ball to be able to do that. Because the amount of times you'll see centre backs go forward with the ball 50, 40, 50 yards, and you know people people who will be watching the game will be looking and going, "Why is nobody coming out to him?" It's because the opposition midfielders, they don't want to commit themselves because when they're committing themselves, they're leaving the man that they're marking free. So, you know, that's why I think and feel that it's really important that when you do play the back three, even when you're playing the back four, I think it's so important, dependent on the style that you want to play, that either one or both of the centre-backs are comfortable on the ball to take it out. Another thing, Danny, that really struck me in this tournament was the resurgence of the deep-lying playmaker. Uh, the deep-lying playmaker in world football, maybe it's ironic Italy wins this tournament, because the, it was a dead position until Andrea Pirlo revived it for AC Milan on, on those great teams in, uh, in the mid-2000s under Carlo Ancelotti. And this tournament, you saw Billy Gilmore from Scotland in one match uh, before he got COVID. Uh, Jorginho, who was arguably the player of the tournament. Uh, Hoy Bear, who we saw do it at Southampton a lot, but not so much at Spurs this past season. Uh, Declan Rice, etc. A lot of deep-line playmakers really impacting uh, the complexion of these matches. Yeah, and I think what, what you're then saying, so... 
when I was playing as a defender, at times you wanted your defensive midfielder only only a matter of yards away from you. Because you wanted to know that if you were playing against two centre-forwards or if you were playing against a number, a number 10 who liked to drop off or a second striker that liked to drop off, you wanted to be in a position where it was, OK, my centre-forward's dropping off, my second striker's dropping off me, the number 10's dropping off me. You wanted to be in a position with your defensive midfielder where the gaps between you and your defensive midfielder were very minimal. Because the last thing you wanted as a defender was for the centre-forward to drop off you, or like I say, the second striker or the number 10. The last thing you wanted was for them to drop off you, and because your defensive midfielder is so far away from you, you had to go with that centre-forward, because then that leaves space in behind for midfield runners. So going back to what you're talking about, about the deep-lying playmaker, is that more often than not, teams that... Teams that win the midfield battle go on to win the game. So therefore, if you're a midfielder and you see Jorginho, players like that, starting to run the midfield, you don't want to allow that to happen. So all of a sudden, as a midfielder, you're like, I need to push up the pitch. I need to push up the pitch because Jorginho is dictating the tempo, he's controlling the game. And as an opposition midfielder, you don't want that because that means that you're chasing the ball a lot. It means that you can't get tied to your man. So what happens from that, and a lot of the times when you look at deep, deep line playmakers, it's not necessarily what they are doing on the ball and what they're doing with the ball. We know that so many of them have that talent where they can pick a pass, whether it be 30, 40 yards or 10 yards, picking the right pass. What happens a lot of the time with a deep line playmaker? He separates the opposition midfield and defence. And that's the biggest thing that you can do because as a midfielder, you want to go and press someone like Jorginho. You don't want to give him time and space in the ball, so you go and push up. But then all of a sudden, if you're played around, the last thing you want as a midfielder is, midfielder is to be running back towards your own goal. Now, as a centre-back, the last thing you want then is if a number 10 drops off you or a centre-four drops off you, you don't want him then to be dropping into that space, picking the ball up and running at you. So you have two options. Your first option is you go tight with him, but you're leaving a big gap behind you for a midfield runner, or you want to be handing him over to your defensive midfielder. But if your defensive midfielder is busy trying to stop the opposition um, deep-line playmaker, so to speak, you, all, all problems can amount from that. So a lot of the time, and this is what I find really fascinating and what I really enjoy about football, is that it's not necessarily what the man with the ball at, the, at his feet is doing, it's what it's creating. And with Jorginho, you don't want him controlling the tempo. So all of a sudden, midfielders go out to him, defenders still drop off a little bit because Italy, you know, they, they, had, they had some pace in their team and you don't want to get done in behind. So all of a sudden, before you know it, this tight defensive unit of the defence in the midfield of opposition teams, it's been stretched and it's been made bigger and bigger and bigger just by the movement of Jorginho. So at times, Jorginho, unbelievable on the ball, but at times you could bypass Jorginho because that gap is so big now between the opposition midfield and defence and that's when other players would drop inside, the centre forward could drop deep, false nine could drop deep and that's when it creates a whole host of problems. So for me, yes, the playmaker, the deep line playmaker getting on the ball and making things happen, but it's what it does to the opposition defensively as a unit when you've got that deep-line playmaker that can just create so many problems higher up the pitch. Speaking of those center forwards dropping deep, we saw a lot of it in this tournament. Harry Kane 
oftentimes uh, dropping into midfield and, and becoming a playmaker in his own right. We've seen that for England for a number of years, and also, obviously, this past season with Spurs, he had a number of assists. Romelo Lukaku pushing into wide positions, dropping deep, swapping with De Bruyne at times, swapping with Drace Mertens at times, uh, opening up space and getting on the ball more. Uh, that's another trend uh, that we saw in this tournament. More strikers playing not as stationary nines uh, in a traditional sense. Yeah, it, it, it is. And, and one of the things that, like I tell you from my experience, if I didn't have somebody to mark as a defender, I wanted somebody to mark because you feel more comfortable when, you, when you've when you got someone to mark. You feel as though you're doing your job. So at times you go looking for somebody to mark. And I think the team that, that, that did it at their best during the, you know, the recent domestic season was Manchester City. They would separate centre backs, and then all of a sudden, it's you know, there's no there's no surprise. Gundogan, look at the goals he got for Manchester City. It's because he was able to get beyond the opposition midfield. The two centre backs were then stretched because they were like, we've got to go and mark somebody, but there was no centre forward to mark. So you'd go into the wider areas at times as a centre back and go and pick this player up or that player up, and that just becomes human nature. Now, when you're talking about centre forwards, now you're quite right to suggest that, especially. When you see teams set up with, I don't know, a four a four man front line, so to speak. So you have you have your three behind the front man, or however you however it wants to be played out. A lot of the time, the deepest player throughout the game, on average position, will be the centre forward, and it's really really difficult because people are saying, "Well, why is the centre forward dropping there? He's not going to score from there." He's not going to score from there. Why is he dropping so deep? Now, a lot of the time, what you'll find, not all of the time, is that. Sometimes the centre forward who's dropping deep, he may be the slowest of the front four. Now, when he's dropping in, it goes back to the scenario when you're talking about the, the deep line playmaker is that as a centre back, centre forward drops off you in an ideal world, you're handing him over. You're handing him over to the defensive midfielder. But if the team gets stretched, so if Harry Kane, for example, drops deep, and me as a centre-back, I'm like, well, my defensive midfielder is too far away from me. I'm going to have to go with him. What you're then creating is, is a real issue because whether you're playing a back three or whether you're playing a back four, you're creating a big gap between somebody. So if you're, for example, if Harry Kane drops deep and he's playing against a back four, all of a sudden, if one of the centre-backs goes with him, there's a big gap between the right-sided centre-back and the left-back because your left-sided centre-back has gone, or there's a big gap between your left-sided centre-back and your right-back because your right-sided centre-back has gone. And that is where players then come into their own is in, terms of, uh, is in terms of pace, and they will exploit that area. And it's, it's a very difficult... It's, it, it can be difficult to play against, but that's where communication, you know, your leadership, your organisation, that's where that comes in, because ideally... You want to be saying, right, okay, he's dropped off me now. I don't want to go with him, so I need to hand him over to my defensive midfielder. But if your defensive midfielder is too far away from you, it's impossible to do because the gap is too big between between the players. So, you know, and that's then where, you know, a centre-forward, or if you want to call it a false nine, that's where they can create a lot of problems because you go in with Lukaku if Lukaku drops deep, or you go in with Harry Kane if Harry Kane drops deep. The problem you've got is that if you let Harry Kane go, he can get the ball, he can turn, and then he can pick a pass. We know how good he is on the ball. Lukaku, if you let him drop deep and he picks the ball up and turns, well, good luck. Because now he's facing your one-on-one. He's facing your goal. You're not facing your goal. And you're in all, you're, you're in all kinds of trouble. So it can, be, it can be difficult. But like you just said, 
that could well be one of the reasons and probably is one of the reasons why at times teams will play with a back three. But as we've seen with Lukaku, he'll drift wide. So if you're playing with a back three, he'll be like, okay, you want to play with a back three because, you know, you're trying to outnumber us through the middle. What I'm going to do, I'm just going to go and sit myself out wide. And I can tell you from experience as a centre-back, when you're playing against a centre-forward that you know is quicker than you, you don't want to leave the width of your 18-yard box because if you do, you feel vulnerable. So therefore, a lot of the times, that's where some of the centre-forwards will find space because centre-backs don't want to go that far out wide. Yeah, I see this as an evolution of England as a uh, uh, as a national team under Gareth Southgate that for three years now, starting in the World Cup in 2018, you saw a great understanding between Sterling and Harry Kane in each other's movements, each other's games, uh, ghosting runs, Kane dropping back, clearing space for Sterling, and, and uh, saw that continue through the Nations League campaign 2018 and 2019, and uh, qualifying for this tournament and now in the tournament. I, I, I can't stress enough how well, Kane and Sterling, uh, just those two, we talk about the collective of, of the teams, right? England and other teams. But those two guys, how much they they feed off each other and how much uh, they understand one another and each other's roles in the team. And, and that's the case for, for a lot of strike partnerships, strikers, uh, and, and wide players. Yeah, you do. And that becomes so uncomfortable for a defender. Because if you're tracking Harry Kane... And then all of a sudden, you've got Sterling going the other way. It, you, you're not going to be able to react in time. And that's why you know, it's, it's a situation where I always feel that you as a defensive unit, you want to have four men behind the ball. So whether that is your back three and one defensive midfielder, or it's two centre-backs and two defensive midfielders. Because what that means then is that you can cover the width of the pitch. So at all times, you can have a back four. So if you've got two centre-backs, you can say, right, OK, we've got our two defensive midfielders behind the ball because we've allowed our full-backs to go forward. That means then when, when possession turns over, there's not going to be that much space because both your defensive midfielders can then go and slot into the full-back positions. Now, when, you, when, you are, when you're attacking, a lot of the times, and I think we've seen it in tournaments, counter-attacking football now is probably, is probably more... It's probably more prominent than it's ever been now. And that's why it's so important. When you look at a lot of teams, they turn defence into attack so quickly. And that's where they find the spaces. So you can actually be your most vulnerable when you're attacking. And that's when teams can catch you out. So, for example, you talk about Belgium. You know, you look at Lukaku. When, when Belgium are defending, he will go and stand in a specific area that he knows when Belgium win the ball back, that's where he's going to be. So whether it's De Bruyne on the ball, whoever it may be, whether it's Tielemans on the ball, they know where Lukaku's going to be. And it becomes really difficult because as a defender, then you're like, right, okay, we're on the attack. But if things turn around now, I can find myself really vulnerable. So the defensive setup when you're attacking is huge. And I think what we're seeing, what we're seeing now, it's a piece that I did quite a few years ago, actually, when I wrote about it. And one of the things is, is that, it's, it's very different in a, in, a Europe, in, in a European Championships because, you know, sometimes both teams are so-called playing, playing away from home, whatever it may be, de dependent on the circumstances. But a lot of the times when you look at domestic football now, the home team is trying to earn the right to play as the away team. But in order to do that, they have to score that first goal. 
because then you can play the counter-attacking football. Because what you'll see are some players that play for specific teams and everybody looks at them and goes, wow, they're so quick. But they're not able to utilise the pace because the team they're playing against are happy just to sit deep. They're happy to get a draw if they're away from home, whatever the circumstances may be. So therefore, in order to be able to utilise the pace of certain players that you've got in your team, you need to score that first goal. Because then when you score that first goal, eventually the opposition has to open up. And then when that opposition opens up, that's when you can take advantage of it. So there's a lot of different ways that the centre forwards are playing now, but you know, we don't we don't see anywhere near as much now that focal centre forward that we used to see quite a few years ago, who would have the ball hit up to him and, and he could hold the ball up whilst there'd be runners coming. A lot of the time now the units are really close together and at times the centre-forward will end up the deepest of the, of the four attack-minded players. Danny, something that was pretty striking about this tournament and the last topic I want to cover with you today is dead balls. Dead ball situations, uh, free kicks, corners, penalties, less goals than ever than I can ever remember in a major tournament. I don't even remember if there was a direct free kick uh, that that resulted in a goal uh, and, and fewer corners than you can remember. A lot of missed penalties, not just in the final. Everyone remembers the shootout in the final, but missed penalties throughout the course of 90 minutes in the group stage and in uh, knockout stages. I was uh, concerned about England's squad selection. I, I loved the, the squad Garrett Southgate picked, and, and of course, brilliant throughout the tournament. The one thing I was concerned about was James Ward-Prowse being left behind, thinking, if there's a dead ball situation with a match on the line, that's the guy I'm going to want over it if I'm Garrett Southgate and I'm England. Well, as it turns out, this tournament... Uh, had very few of those situations for whatever reason. And maybe it's, uh, uh, Danny, your former defender, maybe it's uh, defending has, got, has gotten better. Maybe defenses uh, of set pieces are at their highest level ever. Yeah, it's, it's something. So if you look in England at the moment, so Brentford, for example, you know, newly promoted to the Premier League, they've had two different set piece coaches. And one of them... You may have to correct me, I'm not too sure. But as far as I'm aware, one of them went to Manchester City and then one of them went to Arsenal. Um, we've right, seen, yes. I think, I think Manchester United either today or yesterday have, have brought in a set-piece coach, whether that be for the attacking things, whether that be for, for the defensive side of things. And it's something that a big, a big, a big thing was made about Liverpool getting a, a throw-in specialist. I'm, I'm all for these things because... Because football, football, more often than not, you know, when you've got two evenly matched teams, is, is won and lost on moments. And it can be a set piece. It can be something where it's like, comes from a throw-in, whatever it may be. And when you talk about Ward-Prowse, I was a little bit surprised because I looked at the England squad and I thought to myself, OK, a lot of them didn't play a lot of time, but Sancho when he gets on the ball, Grealish when he gets on the ball, Foden when he gets on the ball, Mount when he gets on the ball, Sterling when he gets on the ball. These are players that when they get on the ball, they scare the life out of you. They're quick, they're tricky, intelligent players. Now... With that, with that thought in mind, with the players I've just mentioned, you think to yourself, England are going to get a whole host of free kicks and set pieces within these games, whether it be corners, whether it be free kicks, wherever it is on the pitch, and obviously in the in the opposition half. So I was a little bit surprised from that, from from the World Prowse side of things, because of the delivery that he can give and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, I must agree, it, it's something that we haven't seen, we didn't see 
an overabundance of in the Euros. And is that because defences are a lot better in dealing with it now? Because there's always been there's been this argument for so long now about zonal marking and man for man marking. Um, or, you know, so so do you give the credit to the defenders and saying right? Teams are doing a lot more work now on defending set pieces. Or do you look at it the other way and say, maybe teams aren't doing as, as much work on attacking set plays as they used to do? Because for me, it's, it's a huge thing. Um, and, and it can be really difficult because when, when you're a defender and you find yourself in these situations, I didn't like zonal marking. I always felt that I always felt better when I had the responsibility of marking somebody. And if he scored, it was my fault. So it was like, right, okay, I've got to make sure that my man doesn't score. And if you've got the like-minded players in your team, which more often than not, if you're going man-for-man marking, you know that there's going to be a comeback if your man scores, regardless of anything. Whereas in zonal, it can be difficult because you can leave certain players at certain instances. They've gone out of my zone or they've done this move or whatever it may be. So it's it's a difficult one. I'm I'm very much more of the, the man for man. But what we've even seen with, with some teams now, and I saw it last year domestically, there'll be certain players, the defensive-minded players, that are the best um, the best on dealing with set pieces, like, you know, the, the, the high that they have and things like that. Some managers would make sure that they were free and they would tell them not to go and mark anybody. They say, right, what I want you to do, and there could be two, there could be two players in the team, or there could even be three players in the team. They would say to them, don't mark anybody, go and win the ball. Because a lot of the time when you're marking somebody, the person you're marking could say, right, well, I know that, that you're one of the best defensive headers of the ball in this team. So therefore, what I'm going to do, I'm going to take you outside the 18-yard box. So there's, there's, so, many, there's so many different ways to do it. But it's in terms of attacking set pieces and, and like you say not a huge amount of them you can look at it two ways is it the fact of teams aren't working on it that much or is it defensively teams have got better I would probably say now because there's because there's been so much talk about it especially domestically domestically in England I think that teams have got better on it and I think they're actually doing a lot more work now than, than what they had done previously because not saying it was easy to score from set pieces, but I think a lot of a lot of goals you see that have been conceded from set pieces were were easily avoidable as well. Well, Danny, thank you so much. That was a fascinating discussion and uh, so much to dive into uh, tactically from this tournament. And I know we only scratched the surface of it. Uh, good luck the rest of the season with the Philly Union on COCOMS there. And with the new Premier League season coming, uh, look forward to seeing you uh, on Premier League. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. So until next week, I'm Carter Krishnayer. Enjoy your football. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.